Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, my name is Gina Martini. I'm the Chief Scientist for the Royal Pharmaceutical Society. And today we're conducting another Chief Scientist podcast interview. I am delighted today, uh, along with my colleague, Sarah Cahill, who is a clinical um, fellow uh, for the Chief Pharmacist, on to comment to the Royal Pharmaceutical Society. I've invited Dr. Daria Donati, who is the Head of Business Development for Cytiva. Good afternoon, Daria. How are you? Hello. Hello, everybody. Good afternoon. I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. Daria, it's our pleasure. Daria, um, could you give us an introduction to who you are and, and what you do at Cytivia? In fact, give us some background uh, to how you, you, you got your role in, in Cytivia, please. Sure. Uh, at Cytivia, I'm heading the business development and the strategic partnership technology team. So what do we do? We help our company to acquire and develop innovative technologies. And at the same time, we help our customer with technology questions and the implementation in, of innovative solutions from a research development perspective or from a manufacturing perspective. Uh, to give a little bit of a color uh, around my background, Basically, I'm an academic as a background. I have a first PhD from the University of Pisa in uh, biotechnology, but I worked a lot with uh, immune responses in cell therapy, the first uh, wave of cell therapies, let's say. And a second PhD from the Karolinska Institute in Sweden, where I worked with infectious disease, vaccination, immune responses, and virology, a little bit a mix of all of that. After that, I worked as a PA, principal investigator at the Karolinska Institute, worked with the World Health Organization in developing countries supporting local capacity building and responses against infectious diseases like malaria. And in 2008, I actually moved to G-Healthcare at that time, G-Healthcare Life Sciences, that nowadays is actually Saitiva. And since then, I've been working on manufacturing and supporting the manufacturing of life-saving drugs like vaccines, monoclonal antibodies, plasma proteins, and helping governments, companies, organizations to build their own manufacturing capacity, so turnkey solutions to manufacturing. Well, Barry, that's really, uh, really interesting and very, very topical uh, for today's environment uh, with, with, with COVID-19. And we'll come back to your expertise in the manufacturing and vaccines and infectious diseases uh, throughout the interview. But thank you for giving such an exciting background to who you are. And also to note the fact you did two PhDs, one in Italy and one in Karolinska, which is obviously a world-famous institute. How, just out of interest, how did you find the, the, the cultural differences for doing a PhD in Italy versus Sweden? Do you notice much difference? But not very much from a scientific perspective, I would have to say. Um, probably from more an organizational structure, Italy being more a, a hierarchical type of university okay. structure, a Karolinska, a very flat one. So okay. I think the organizational aspect is the biggest difference. Okay, that sounds really interesting. So I'm sure we can catch up at a later date and, and explore the differences. Because um, in my previous life, I did a lot of work with the Sarolinska and in the Gothenburg, so it was a very interesting uh, collaboration. Okay, I, I'll hand over to Sarah. Sarah, could you, um, you want to ask, ask your question to, to Daria, please? Yep. Um, can you give a background to the history of Cytiva, please? 
Absolutely. I mean, nowadays, I mean, since inception, Satiba has been a global provider of technologies, equipment, software, and services to advance and accelerate the development and the manufacturing of therapeutics. And we have a very rich heritage, a trace back really hundred, hundred of years from uh, when uh, James Walkman in the 1700s actually dedicated his life to develop uh, paper, you know, the filtration paper that at first has been used for separating molecules. Moving on to, you know, internal developments, um, I just can mention one that probably many might recognize as the development of the Cephadex that is really the base for the modern chromatography. Material the Cephadex that is even nowadays used in the most part of biopharmaceutical manufacturing uh, with all these products derivatives. So it's, it's really a long history and um, we, we are really proud of that. Really, really interesting. Thank you so much. I'll hand you back to Gina. So, uh, Daria, um, I understand that you're, you're very much involved in VMIC. Uh, could you explain to all this is what VMIC stands for? And then I suppose my second question is, um, you know, uh, did you think VMIC would ever be such a su successful collaboration? Obviously, now we're in the middle of a, or coming out of a, of a COVID-19 pandemic. So the question's in two, two parts. What does VMIC stand for? And also, you know, what kind of collaborations do you do uh, with VMIC? So the VMIC is the Vaccine Manufacturing Innovation Centre of UK. So it's a centre able to support the development of the manufacturing of vaccines, leveraging the innovation and the most innovative and advanced technologies in the space of manufacturing. So the VMIC has been an initiative of the UK government already starting quite a few years ago, uh, much earlier than the pandemic. And the reason for his inception was really trying to build a center in UK that would be able to meet an emergency response, like the pandemic emergency response in terms of vaccines, if such events would actually come. Uh, we would have hoped that the pandemic would really happen in many, many, many years. And unfortunately, that really happened right now. So it's a unique constellation of partners, and Saitiva uh, has been one of the founding members, and I've been involved from the ideation all the way uh, to now where I'm a member of the board. And it's a unique constellation of partners where uh, in VMIC you have together the universities, like the University of Oxford, the London School of Tropical Medicine and Hygiene, Imperial College, together with the corporate world, two pharma companies, uh, Merck MSD and Janssen, the vaccine side of J&J, uh, tool providers like Saitiva, uh, really focusing on manufacturing technology, the UK government with the strong funding coming from the UK, UK, and then the NGOs, non-government organizations like uh, the Wellcome Trust. And was it really sure what would happen if it would be really so successful. I mean, we can't be sure. However, I have to say that since its ideation and inception, I strongly believe that the unique setup of the VMIC and the capabilities that in UK we were building with VMIC will be really an asset for UK in case of any pandemic, as is happening right now. And I strongly believe still now that will be an asset for the world as well 
if uh, we would be able with vMIC really to support effectively uh, the vaccine response. So vMIC's based in Oxford, I believe, and it's, it's basically a consortia of stakeholders who looking for obviously uh, vaccine capability. Uh, I mean, how long has vMIC been going for, Daria? I mean, is it is it new? Is it year, two years? How 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 long has it been going for? Yeah, I mean, we started to work on the vMIC, the ideation, the vMIC, the beginning of the idea two years ago, and the actual uh, activity around the facility is very very recent. We we, we just started basically uh, at the end of last year, so nobody believed we wouldn't really need the physical facility right now i mean um, uh, but i have to say it the vmic activities have been a testimonial on how the uk government have been thinking ahead of the events yeah however uh, of course the facility is not ready yet so the facility itself it is actually based at the arwell campus and not far away from oxford okay Harvard, um, yeah, yeah uh, the, the physical facility is based there in the vmic as well and uh, uh, not only we have been starting to build the facility already, like it was planned in time, but the UK government had injected further investment to uh, speed up the process and make sure uh, that we could accelerate the, the build-up so uh, the VMIC would be up and running at the timing, which hopefully uh, there will be a, a successful vaccine candidate to be produced in UK. Okay, very, very interesting, uh, Daya. Uh, uh, Sir, um, do you want to ask your? Do you want to ask questions five and six actually, because they're kind of inter interrelated. I yes, feel. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the whole world is looking for a treatment or a cure for uh, COVID nineteen. Can you give us a sense of what's happening um, at Vimic at the moment? Yeah, I mean, as I tell you, Vimic now is focusing on first instance in finalising the build up of the facility to make sure that there will be manufacturing capacity available when uh, you know, a, a vaccine is actually approved. At the same time, to make sure that the capabilities of VMIC are leveraged, the VMIC is supporting through knowledge, coordination, and many different other types of specific activities in network of small manufacturers, um, clinical manufacturing organizations that are at the moment supporting the manufacturing of the batches necessary to run the clinical trials. Because as we know, we have you know, a small batch manufacturing that you need to run clinical trials. And once you have the final approval of the drug, then the mass production in brackets will actually start. And that's where we hope the BMIC facility uh, up and running at that point could provide um, an effective support. Okay, thank you so much. That's really interesting. I perhaps would like to add something, I, uh, because the VMIC, I, I believe, is a great example of a unique way of approaching, you know, pandemic response. And there are, but I would like really at least to mention at least one other or a couple more uh, um, activities that are going around the world. And one that is similar, however, not as powerful as VMIC, for example, is the collaboration between the University of Queensland uh, in Australia, ourselves, it will provide the Australian government and the CSL, that is a pharma company as well. The University of Queensland owned a technology that was 
particularly useful in the response against COVID. So once uh, there was the outbreak, they decided you know, to go full speed ahead in developing the technology. We at Sativa, we, we, we jumped in providing the tools for supporting the manufacturing of this technology. We are actually ourselves uh, producing clinical trial materials to speed up the uh, clinical testing. And once uh, the vaccine, hopefully, will be proven and be approved, then CSL will jump in as manufacturer. First, of course, for Australia, like it happened for UK and the VNIC, and then hopefully for the surrounding region. So I think the idea of VNIC has been probably uh, the proposal of other initiatives where the interaction between different actors has been really key. You just mentioned there about a vaccine. Can you explain to our listeners why sometimes it can take up to 18 months to develop a vaccine? Well, this is very interesting because, in fact, I will have to say that it takes up to 10 years to develop a vaccine uh, and not 18 months. When we talk about 18 months, it's uh, the time that we are putting to ourselves to strive to get a vaccine um, out in approval. And this is very, very specific because uh, we are working on developing a vaccine in unprecedented times and timelines for a disease that did not exist before, that is completely new. So when we talk about the 18 months, is the time we are trying to compress out of the 10 years uh, incredible enough. And how do we do that? We do that have many organizations and institutions around the world working on different types of technology, shrinking the development time, the manufacturing development time, and uh, the overall manufacturing setup time, working with the different organizations, regulatory authorities, to make sure that everything is in place in the shortest time that possible. And we do that in parallel to build the manufacturing, finding place where you could manufacture once the vaccine is approved, building, in some cases, manufacturing capacity, and uh, working with two suppliers or raw material suppliers like us to make sure that when you need the raw material that's there available. So the 18 months is, I would say, global in incredible effort where none of us can do it alone. The only way to strive to these 18 months compared to the 10 years that usually might take to develop vaccine is work uh, end-to-end -end, uh, industry, NGOs, government, technology providers all together. Collaboration is the key, really, to try and get the vaccine out sooner than, than 18 months, really, isn't it? I mean, I, I would say it's key, and this is really the first time we, we are proving the fact that uh, there is nobody that by itself can actually get the vaccine available um, alone. Yeah, thank you. That was really interesting. I'll hand you back to Gino for the last two questions. Yeah, I will do. So actually, Dari, you kind of, my next question you kind of answered, but I mean, clearly COVID-19 has really forced the research community to rethink how it does things. And I think, you know, clearly what's changed, what lessons we can learn from this and what's forced the research community to rethink about how it does things on the back of COVID-19. 
And uh, as I said before, first and foremost, we cannot do it alone. Partnership, uh, cross-boundary collaboration is key for emergency response. But in the second instance, and definitely not least important, is the fact that in general, when we have been thinking about developing a drug, a biopharmaceutical drugs, even more complicated process, have been thinking about research, after that development, after that clinical manufacturing, once it's approved, um, large-scale manufacturing. We can't think in that way anymore. We have to make sure that already at the research stage, we are preparing for next phase. So in the research plan, you have to start to implement factors that will be key for the development stage, where you have to start to think about how you can purify your protein in an amount good enough to be able to inject in individuals for clinical trials. And so forth in the development phase, starting to think about what does it mean clinical manufacturing. So clearly, I think it has been pushing the, the mind of the scientists, or the developers, to trying to implement key elements in their own research and development plan to make sure that the processes speed up and more effective. And I, I think this is great for two reasons. One, it will help the fastest response to a pandemic or an emergency with the same standard of quality you will have otherwise. Honestly, you're not compromised on anything. On the same side, the same effect will be actually protracted throughout the life of all the drugs, even the ones that are not during a pandemic. So speeding up the access to the market itself. So I think it's a win-win type of change that has been forced, but that will be carried out even after the COVID-19 emergency. Thank you, Daria. I think the, the key message here is isn't it? collaboration at a global, not just European level, at a global scale, cross-fertilization mm -hmm. of expertise and skills, you know, will, will, will obviously help us prepare for future pandemics. Clearly now we're, we're obviously thinking about not COVID-19, but COVID-20 or COVID-2021. And so it's really important. I think what, what I've seen myself is a greater sense of, uh, you know, collaboration uh, and, and, and we're all in it together. And I think it's been remarkable to see how, how academia is collaborative industry and industry is collaborating with itself, normally all competitive, now actually working in a coordinated way. For my last question, uh, Darian, of course, it's, lim lim it's linked to VIMIC, but I think it's clear there's been a sense of, you know, um, concern about, you know, particularly about the UK, about its research and manufacturing base. We've got Vimic, but do you think we'll see more R&D manufacturing being reinvested back into the UK? Clearly what's happening in Oxford is a rapid expansion, but do you think we could see a lot more, maybe more vaccine manufacturing units, for example, or medical device production uh, happening in the UK as a consequence of COVID-19? Have you seen any signs of that? Any conversations around that? So uh, if I would love to give a short answer, the answer would be yes. Uh, however, to say that um, or already now and since quite a few years, probably one year and a half, two years, if uh, you've been paying attention, the government, Innovate UK and other funding agencies have been really very, very active in focusing on promoting capabilities in research, development, manufacturing, in many different sectors. Of course, the biopharma sectors are becoming more and more relevant. Uh, 
to be able to be independent, to be able to respond to emergencies. And I, I really think that the COVID-19 effort will just be a pushing force into that activity that already started. Um, so yes, I, I really strongly believe there will be more and more coming. However, I have to admit that the, the government has started a few years ago, one and a half, two years ago, in creating initiatives, one after the other, in the direction of industrialization, research and development. And I believe that that type of trend uh, with the political changes and with the COVID-19 situation that brought up to the surface a lot of challenges that not only UK, many other countries are facing, will be a key uh, proposal for future activities in the space. Thank you, Daria. I mean, I, I remember Professor Sarah Gilbert giving an interview on the Andrew Marr show, and she said, well, I've got the pile of plants. I can make the vaccine small scale, but I haven't got a commercial manufacturing plant. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that, that scares me. You know, the other manufacturing plant that does do vaccines, of course, yeah. is in Liverpool, but that's for the flu vaccine. So I think, you know, Luckily, luckily for us, Vimic was started uh, when it when it was, and all credit to mm. people involved. I I salute you. Uh, I salute everybody involved because they should be recognised for that. Uh, Daria, uh, thank you for your time. On behalf of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society, thank you so much for making the time out your busy schedule to talk to us and the and to our members. Um, it's been an honour and it's been a pleasure and so exciting. Uh, and like today, we're waiting for the results of the vaccine. So the interview is very, very timely. Uh, and Vimic was very, very timely. So again, thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And thank you very much for the good discussion.